0: podcast now because we're on episode three and we're here to shine new light on the games you love and the love in your games. I'm Lucy Morris.
1: And I'm Lauren Clinic,
0: And welcome to this episode that you'll be listening to as Lauren is at GDC in San Francisco. (laughs) We're recording this in (laughs) advance. We're preparing for the future. Um, And thanks for all of the love. We've got over 300 listens already, which is quite frankly more than I thought we would ever get. (laughs) So That's really awesome. And we're two episodes away from being able to list our podcast on Spotify, so thank you for all your support, and as long as you keep listing, we'll keep making terrible romance game content.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody. And just a reminder on the format with the show, so every two weeks we'll talk about a game and we'll discuss how they handled love, romance, sexuality, or intimacy. So for some episodes, we'll have special guests from the games industry. And in most episodes, we'll also be fielding questions from listeners at the end of the show. So, Lucy and I are both members of the games industry, so we're coming from pretty different perspectives. Now, Lucy, I'm not sure if we've really gone into our backgrounds or the perspective that we come from yet. So, how about we go through that?
0: Yeah, no, that would probably be a good idea, because these people don't know who they're listening to, and we could be anybody. So <laughs> By day, I work as a senior UI designer for a mobile games company, so I'm designing all of your interfaces, all of your buttons, I work on usability and uh, user experience. By night, I moonlight at my own independent games company, Starcult, where we focus on more PC-based titles and we're really focused on telling stories that aren't heavily explored in games right now. We're really interested in exploring empathy through relatable situations and humour.
1: So yeah, that's about me. Beautiful. And so for me, I'm coming from a games marketing and PR perspective. So I head up a small team and we're providing marketing and PR services to game developers. So it's about getting your message out there, whether it be the brand of your studio or you want to get an audience really hyped and excited for a game that's going to be coming out. That's when people tend to talk to us as well so we would have more of a specialization in mobile games and just as a team we have a preference for sort of vibrant colorful and also non non-violent games and non-typical games that we tend to work with so lucy and i come from really different perspectives and even as consumers and fans we have pretty different tastes but also a pretty big overlap as well and talking about likes and dislikes the game that we're going to be talking about uh, i think we had some really mixed feelings on, maybe maybe some more negative feelings than most of the games that we're going to discuss, so shall we lay it on them, Lucy?
0: I think so. I think that we've started a, a trend of talking about really controversial things, because our first episode was on Andromeda, which was uh, stereotypically disliked, but today we're going to talk about Doki Doki Literature Club, which is a visual novel that has come to a lot of pop culture acclaim recently, it's very much in the zeitgeist and in the games field right now and it was developed by team salvato it's a free game on steam which probably well definitely aided the fact that it went very viral late 2017 for windows mac and linux and then later on october sixth, it launched on steam and it was developed over two years by dan salvato who was uh, previously known for his modding work on super smash bros melee What's interesting about Doki Doki Literature Club is that it's built using Rempi, which I think we mentioned last episode, uh, where the Lemisoft community is based, is also where the Rempi developer community is based. Uh, so it's a free visual novel engine, so you can download Rempi for free and start making your own visual novels in it with a pretty solid um, framework that has all of the affordances of normal visual novels uh, given to you without much effort on your part, which is really cool. Uh, And also an engine that I really recommend for anyone that wants to make visual novels for the first time, or wants to experiment with uh, visual novels or kinetic novels. So yeah, a little bit tangential, but if that interests you, you should download it and give it a go.
1: And it's interesting because last week we talked about Dream Daddy, which is uh, a visual novel as well, um, arguably, and also a game that has meta content themes as well. So there's an interesting link between... Dream Daddy and Doki Doki and all the alliteration of all the Ds, I'm probably going to be shortening it to DDLC when we talk about it, just because saying Doki Doki a million times (laughs) gets a bit old. (laughs) So before we get into it, uh, we always warn people that when we're discussing a game we are going to be spoiling the content and going a lot uh, into the narrative of the game and what it does and what it doesn't do. Beyond that warning for this episode, we need to have a trigger warning and some content warnings here because this game deals with some very, very serious topics with mental illness, with self-harm and with suicide. So we will be talking about these things. We'll be talking about how this game approaches these, how it has treated its own content and how it has framed it. So we're not going to go into really distressing detail. But uh, it's something that Lucy and I both found difficult as players. Uh, we might have some difficulties discussing it as well. So absolute content warnings for this episode. And if you need to take a break or if you need to skip this, then we'll see you at the next episode.
0: Yeah, so diving straight into it, uh, I think one of the most Notable qualities of DDLC it's just makes me think of downloadable content <laughs> <laughs> is that it has a really huge cult following um, and it has a huge amount of fans. So, this subreddit Lauren found has close to 80,000 members. that's, that's crazy. <laughs> oh my and gosh. 3 million downloads. That's not a small amount of downloads in, in Steam World, as we call it now in the industry, apparently. <laughs> It's, it's staggering, and I think it it shows a lot to Team Salvato that they managed to make their game go so viral and get so many downloads and expose their brand to so many people. I think that that is very impressive.
1: That's exactly it. So we know that horror games themselves are really popular on YouTube and with streamers, and it's a game that really elicits very strong reactions. So it always was going to be really... Uh, a big impact kind of a game with the YouTube community. But the the development team didn't have a huge audience before it launched and it launched quite quietly. And then they just trusted it. They trusted that the way that it was structured and what the content was and how sort of, I don't know, inflammatory and alarming it was would lead to this uh, basically huge snowball effect. And so I'll just come out and say that the game has an innocent shell where it positions itself as being an extremely innocent game. But inside of it, there's this meta horror, psychological horror game experience that's, that's inside it. But on the surface, if you go, if you look up Doki Doki Literature Club and you go to the webpage, there's almost nothing that gives that away at first. It has this very innocent seeming sort of outer shell. So Lucy, before you played it, were you aware uh, about much of the content?
0: Um, I wasn't aware of the specifics of what was in it. I knew that there was some sort of weird easter egg and there was a lot of discourse uh, on social media where people were talking about how weird it was. or There was just something not really right. Um, What was interesting is that when it released on Steam, if you have something added to your Steam library, Steam also includes a news feed underneath the game as well. And the news feed was actually what spoiled me because if you Mm -hmm. click onto DDLC... Uh, It has the latest uh, games media Articles on their game in it And it's just like, this is a horror game But it's super cute or something So I didn't Mm. know it was a horror game at that point Until I saw that article And that's probably something to be said for Steam spoiling Spoiling experiences (laughs) But that's a conversation for probably another podcast And another day (laughs) Um, But I had no idea what Exactly, I was getting into. Mm, mm. Um, The game itself does prompt you with a lot of trigger warnings, which Mm. I think is good that they did that. If they hadn't done that, I think it would have been pretty unacceptable. But they went out of their way to make sure that there were lots of disclaimers. They have a website up that links um, links you from the game, and you can read everything about like what the game's content is and make sure that you're okay with proceeding. So you definitely. Proceed with caution because you've been informed that there is distressing content in it.
1: And with the content warnings, there is a little bit of valid critique in that when the game first launched on Itch, which I think maybe was one of its first platforms, it wasn't tagged for horror. So Mm. in the game, you'd open it up and it would give you a content warning uh, that says... This game is not suitable for children or for those who are easily disturbed. and individuals suffering from anxiety or depression may not have a safe experience while playing this game. For content warnings, please visit. And then had a URL that you mentioned with more information. But it wasn't tagged with horror on itch. So it's this interesting balance where the developers were maybe trying to keep a little bit of the mystique around it actually being a horror game by not tagging it on itch. Then the developer was called out and and said, you know, you're right. I need to go beyond the content warnings. I have tagged it with horror as well on itch and I'll make sure that it's tagged under horror for steam. So, you know, it's, it is one of those things where uh, it looks really innocent on the outside, but then uh, with much poking, you find out, you find out more. So the description of the game The innocent-sounding Wikipedia description says, The story follows a male high school student who joins the school's literature club and interacts with its four female members. The game features a mostly linear story with some alternate scenes and endings depending on the choices the player makes. While it appears at first glance to be a light-hearted dating simulator, it is in fact a psychological horror game that involves heavy use of breaking the fourth wall. Thanks, Wikipedia.
0: <laughs> I think maybe we should frame why we're talking about DDLC on this podcast. If it is in fact a psych horror game, mm. uh, and that's I think it's many reasons. One, it uses the the affordances of Otome games to be that kind of lighthearted like dating simulator show. It's very much stereotypical of a lot of uh, usual dating simulators, and a lot of the let's plays that I watch after playing this. Uh, they thought that it would continue down a certain path because you have certain expectations of the genre and of the mechanics. And it's using this kind of dating simulator as a front for tricking you into believing it's something it's
1: not. Yes. And in that way, the game has been popular with some visual novel fans and developers. And it has also been popular with people that have... Typically, like hated or disliked visual novels or anime games, and feel like they would never pick them up, which I think has contributed to some of the popularity as well.
0: So, what kind of romance options are there in Doki Doki Literature Club? Hmm. Uh, there are <laughs> there are four, basically. And, I mean, romance options is a strong word. You never really know if you're romancing someone. And that makes not a lot of sense for me to say that on this podcast. (laughs) But, again, that's that kind of uh, affordance front that it gives you, that you're put into this game, you're given four options of girls to date, and you assume that your job is to go and pick one of these So, when you're still in that frame of mind, uh, your romance options are Sayori, who is your childhood friend, and she's very bubbly, and a bit clumsy, and very, very loud. Yuri, who is the romantic, introverted bookworm, she's very tall, got long hair, very anime stereotypical, like, quiet one, quiet smart one. There's Natsuki, who is the Sundere. should we should we define sundere for the listeners? We should.
1: Not everyone is as big of a weep as we've been in our past, Lucy. So <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that's true. How would you how would you define sundere? Someone that's kind of standoffish at the start of your relationship, but then they warm up to you.
1: Yeah, like pr- prickly on the outside, but secretly wants to be loved, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and she's very huffy and quite obstinate. And then there's Monica, who was the president of the Literature Club, and she's very talented, she's very archetypal, like master of all things, very, very perfect, Um, also, you know, just the right amount of humble. So those are the four that make up the entirety of the game, basically, and they're at first presented as, you assume, romance options in DDLC.
1: Yes, so no matter what name you give the game, the game treats you as um, a man, a male, who is the childhood friend of Sayori and she's like, "Hey, high school, like I'm in this literature club and you should join." And then your male character joins the literature club and is talking to yourself about, "Maybe I can date one of these girls." So the game really is setting you up with this really classic, quote unquote, anime game setup of you're you're a man, you're in school, and there's these pursuable women and if you want one of them, you just need to do the right thing to get them. And with a lot of these novels, it can feel like the the progress is super linear and this game sets it up with uh, making you feel like okay picking the option that favors the girl that I like and also a poem creation Mm -hmm. mini game where each night in the game you select I think it's 20 words or something and you can very easily tell if the words you're adding to your poem is liked by a different girl because they have a little mini mini chibi that jumps up and down so it's very straightforward you think okay I like Yuri I'll say things that are kind to her and when I'm doing poetry at home I'm going to pick these words that makes her jump up and down and that's kind of the system that you feel like everything is going great and then when you have conversations with these girls sometimes you'll have intimate moments that give you sort of a CG splash art of for example, you might sit down and read a book with Yuri, which is a, a cute, sweet moment. So you get a, a piece of art that's like the sunset coming in and her being really close to you and looking shy, which again is this really typical uh visual novel anime game type of type of a thing, which is just setting you up for everything to go to go pretty wrong um towards the towards the end of Act One. And I'm not sure how we if we should go through the storyline of what happens first or if we should speak about what we, what we enjoyed about the game experience, Lucy?
0: I think we should probably talk about what we enjoyed, because I'm trying my best to be objective, because I know I know a lot of people really liked this game, and I do think that it did several things really well. It's not a game that I particularly enjoyed, mostly for content reasons, but yeah, it, it did do things well, and I'm, I'm willing to admit that it's important to be objective. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I liked about DDLC... It's another breakout hit like Dream Daddy was in the fact that it popularised visual novels and to get so many people playing them in recent past has been great for the genre. Uh, Someone on Twitter tweeted at us when we were soliciting questions for this episode and uh, Mikomi Kisomi, sorry if I have mispronounced your username, said that DDLC was an interesting take on the typical VN tropes of the meta twist and most Japanese VN fans in the VN being visual novels in the West have already forgotten about it, but English VN devs haven't. It inspired and brought in a lot of new devs to the VN field, so the effects of DDLC will last for years." And I do agree that this along with things like Dream Daddy have really proliferated this type of game, and it's getting a lot more people thinking about visual novels, thinking about romance games, thinking about fiction games, and that's something I thought it did really well. Um, It also used some creative mechanics to break the fourth wall, which is ostensibly what everyone is talking about with regards to DDLC. And I think that's also the wow moment, the shock moment that everyone kind of sat back and they're like, whoa, well, this game is real me in and this is really creative and now I really like it.
1: And some of those creative mechanics with fourth wall breaking include, you know, fake game crashes and file changing and glitching and, and again, these kind of fourth wall breaking Scary, scary moments um, that do happen, and I think uh, we were talking about at one point the one of the game characters addresses you not by your player name but by the the actual you, the player person's name. Um, so it, it somehow tracked the administrator name of the of the PC or the computer being played on. Holy shit, <laughs> scary! What's quite interesting is that. DDLC also
0: has uh, instances where it can detect what other programs are running on your computer. For instance, if you're running, I think certain versions of XSplit and Open Broadcasting Studio, she will trigger different content when you are. When I think she's describing your name, so she will hold back and like say something else, and she will actually start talking to the stream, which is quite. (laughs) I think that's (laughs) really creative. I think I think that's a great idea, Mm, and they they obviously did it quite well.
1: Mm, mm. And I suppose with the developer team's past being in modding and in tool development, maybe that does lend itself to some pretty interesting applications sort of tech wise and code wise to this game itself. And I mean, talking about this game in terms of romantic narrative, we've talked about those four game uh, sort of NPCs as being the love interests. And then as you progress through this narrative and the character of Monica, is really being set up as maybe a bit of an antagonist while the three other girls are positioned as love interests for the player character Monica seems to be pursuing you the the person behind the screen which I think is a very a very interesting divergence in terms of a romantic setup even if I do think it's uh, negative and unhealthy <laughs> yeah. it, it was an interesting difference
0: too much into the detail of the storyline as lauren mentioned before but there's a moment at the end of the game where the kind of narrative experience within the game shatters and then you get put in this fourth wall breaking scene with monica who has erased the rest of the game the game essentially and is now talking to you as the player rather than you as the protagonist inside the game and she has a very obsessive personality she is obsessed with you as the person not as the protagonist and this is uh emphasized by these metagame elements because she is part of the game she lives within the game so for instance if you shut down ddlc and then you open it again she'll say oh you know that caused me pain and i actually saw a couple of comments on um the ddlc wiki that said like i keep the game open because i don't want to I don't want to cause her pain. Like, it's an interesting, mm. interesting, <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know what <laughs> words to give it other than it's interesting. It's certainly something that's very thought-provoking, mm. um, but it will definitely be received differently by, you know, the entire
1: spectrum of people, so. It definitely had an impact. And yeah. I've spoken a little bit about how I... I admire the title for appealing to visual novel fans and also people that hate visual novels. It's this genre breaking mix of having expectations and then subverting them. I like that there is a narrative in the game that you can't fix the universe. There's a lot of valid critique of romance titles and visual novels, in that it's, you know, like a a romance fantasy or a power fantasy where the quest, the player's never questioned, you get what you want you can look up a guide if you want to get a scene with so-and-so and and it's just not like a realistic life experience then in this game monica turns that on her head because she's saying you came in here with expectations and you wanted someone and you're pursuing them but instead i'm going to pursue you and i control this universe and i control this game so i'll force decisions for you and i'll Uh, And I'll change games and I'll erase uh, female characters that you expressed care for and things like that. So, I've seen some people say, wow, Monica's like this interesting feminist critique, and to that I'd be like, no, that's going way too far, that's way too generous of an application. (laughs) But it is an interesting um, subversion of player power. Because you and I talked about the impact that a game has when it says you don't get the happy ending, right?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, and DDLC and this end-game scene. She actually goes through and methodically deletes files from the game folder. And you can't you can't stop that if the game is running. Like, she'll be doing it as you progress the dialogue. And, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you don't have the agency to keep those files there without interfering with, like, you know, shutting the game down. It's, it's her game and her files. And it's, it's creative.
1: Mm, absolutely I also liked that some of the scares in the game were random probability ones so not just you know that you would see that you would see some kind of distressing scary imagery or something would happen some of the scares in the game were literally like there's a 10% chance, a 30% chance, a 50% chance that you'll see this flickery, creepy image. And that was an interesting way of customising the play experience a little bit, keeping you on your toes because you weren't sure what would happen. I also think it's a very clever title for having so many layers of Easter eggs and so many layers Mm. of references and so many dead ends and weird files so the, you know, the aluminium foil hat (laughs) Reddit community could just go bananas and just you know because there there are people that love to be the secret finders and some Mm -hmm. people that have a really you know a huge youtube following because they break games and they find the hidden stuff so you and i talked about this a bit on the the cult ending discussion with joseph it's it's interesting when a developer trusts a community to find hidden meanings and find all the random different trails. And the developer has come out and said, okay, everyone, you have found everything. You don't need to keep <laughs> obsessing quite as much, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that there are these YouTube people that have that have done, you know, a million and one different theory videos, or here's how to get so-and-so scare. And that is an interesting modern part of, of games and, and them being consumed these days, which is yeah. really interesting.
0: I think it's an interesting example of withholding the whole truth of the game only serves to fuel your community to uncover the whole truth so mm. it's definitely a smart move on team Salvado's part that they left so many easter eggs because it just brought the community closer together it got people talking it got people sharing their experiences of the game which is true if things have different probabilities of happening you might talk to someone who played DDLC and they'll be like, do you remember this part of the game? And you're like, no, no, I don't. That didn't happen to me because I didn't have that probability. Mm. Also, mm. the jump scare thing. I actually hate that because I'm terrible with jump scares and I want to know 100% <laughs> if something's going to come at me. Um, with the... With the OBS X split thing I mentioned before, if you are streaming during that, she will jump scare you. And you might not, she jump scares everyone watching the stream. And I thought that was a really good moment. Like that's tracking whether or not someone's streaming and then jump scaring the whole audience. Like oh aside God. from all of my other reservations about this game, that is gold, <laughs> like A plus.
1: <laughs> yeah. That is super interesting. And if you're someone that doesn't really engage a lot with horror games or you don't like being in the driver's seat for horror games, it's great these days that there's such a community for let's plays and content creators because I have consumed a lot of horror games that I can't actually couldn't stand to steer myself. But I really enjoyed having them on in the background, especially if I'm doing like spreadsheets or something that's, you know, it's maybe a bit dull, then I keep myself awake by consuming these Let's Plays. So I really like the Let's Play that Jack Jacksepticeye did,
0: mm-hmm. who's,
1: um, who's, an, who's an Irish dude with uh, green hair. And I really liked his Let's Play, and he went in quite quite blind pretty quickly and quickly early on. And it has like four million views or something. I watched that Hopefully, one today. Oh, <laughs> Cute. Yeah. I quite like him. I really like his Let's Plays and Markiplier's Let's Plays, because they're generally yep. pretty family friendly, they're generally pretty wholesome, and I do like the way that they thoughtfully engage with things, uh, so definitely can, can recommend them if, if you don't want to play through this game, which is very a very legitimate choice as well.
0: I think we've already maybe talked about this a little bit, but what do we think that DDLC could possibly have improved on, or what didn't they do as well?
1: There's, there's so much. <laughs> there's... Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> I feel really bad like, having bad hot takes on this game, because I know a lot of people really enjoyed it. I do a lot of advocacy work in the game space regarding the representation of mental health, especially in horror games. And (laughs) I've had a lot of um, personal experiences with mental illness in the family and friends as well. And I thought I was fine going in with these tags, but it ended up being far more shocking than I thought it was because it misled you so, so much. Mm. So your childhood friend Sayori, she actually starts to open up to you a little bit into the game about how she has depression and I thought that when they started addressing this, her dialogue was actually quite good and quite mm. relatable, and I thought that they were going to do something really good with this, and I was like, okay, well this is really cool, they're addressing depression in the game, um, her her story's very relatable, you know, people often put up like a super happy front because they don't want the guilt of having other people worry about them, and I I Yeah, it just completely goes the opposite way of being useful at all as a lesson, I think. Um, at least to me, I thought that, oh, it almost did something so good and then it just didn't do it good at all. <laughs> then it just swerved away, yeah. yeah.
1: It's It's really super difficult because we've talked a lot about how popular this game is and it's been really successful and highly discussed and a lot of people are very impressed with what it does technically speaking and I would agree with that Mm -hmm. but narratively in terms of what it's what it's saying so as you say like I was really pleased with some of Sayori's discussion and struggle herself with her own depression but Mm -hmm. then when the game still reinforces really unhealthy messages about mental health and then all of these NPC characters get revealed to be twisted and they've been manipulated by Monica and Monica has the power to drive them to do things and be their worst selves and and suffer is is just it's not it's not saying something interesting or helpful about mental illness at that point like yeah you, they play with it for all the reasons that horror plays with it like it is just for impact and it is just for scares and to me it just didn't do enough and in terms of caring for the players i mean it has that content warning at the start but the way the first sentence is is listed this game is not suitable for children or those who are easily disturbed like to me just seems like like a bit of a like i don't know like a like a bait right mm. like it, are you a child or are you easily <laughs> disturbed and like that's not very kind phrasing <laughs> so yeah, i didn't agreed. appreciate that whereas i do think the developer has shown genuine genuine care for people being yeah. very upset i don't know that he did the best job with it i don't know that he consulted in the way that i would consult with the kinds of content that he has put in the game so i'm just like ooh, yikes <laughs> it's for, just for really, a whole lot of it
0: it's just really problematic with demonizing mental illness and this is something that i find quite sensitive because it happens in our content a lot it happens mm. all the time and In DDLC, for me, it was a one-two punch, so like I said, they almost went somewhere really good with it and had a good narrative. Then Sayuri takes her own life, and then in the end of the game, like we were talking about in that meta-breaking scene, you have Monica talking to you, and she has so much dialogue in this scene, she talks to you for like four or five hours if you just leave it running. And I think there's a section in it that talks about Sayori and she says, you know, she was mentally ill to begin with and I didn't do that much. I, that, like, reading the dialogue from this talk at the end was just so, like, it made it so much worse. Ew. And, uh, yeah, I only checked this out today, so I I possibly... Dislike the narrative more today than I did yesterday, which I didn't think was maybe possible.
1: Um, yeah, and in terms of the fear factor and the discomfort, a lot I've read a lot from other people saying, I consumed the content warning and I thought I'd be okay, but again, this this combination of pulling the rug out from under you, being confronted with really alarming imagery but then also that it's meta horror where there's file changing and your computer feels compromised and Mm -hmm. your security is feeling compromised. It's a lot more heavy hitting of a fear and a horror experience than a lot of people were ready to do. I -hmm. think if some people, you know, they consume heaps of horror content or they're, you know, they're a content creator that focuses on it. They'll be, they will have experienced a lot of this before because the file changing isn't that special. There are other games that also do this. Mm-hmm. But for some people it was their first experience and it was a first experience that did like thirty things like to their yeah. computer and to their information and outside of it. So for some people it was totally terrifying. Um so yeah, like if that's what your mission is then okay, but a lot of people were experiencing really a strong anxiety and really strong panic and and it deals with paranoia and it deals with all kinds of things that just really set a lot of people off and a lot of people have been really affected. So mm-hmm. please be careful if you go in and decide to play this game yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I read the content warning as well and, I thought I was going to be fine, and I, I was not super fine at the end of the game. And then after reading this Monica's talk thing today, I'm just like, I'm not going to play this again. <laughs> it's no. it's quite difficult content. Mm. But if you're if you don't suffer from these triggers and you like really meta horror and you like you know really unsettling, disturbing horror games, like this might be an interesting experience for you. But yeah, definitely proceed with caution. We did a new thing this week where we solicited questions from Twitter.
1: Woohoo, yeah. <laughs> so, again, with it being a game that a lot of people have played, we we asked the community to talk to us about what their play experiences have been like. And so, because you're all a bunch of intelligent and very attractive people, all the commentary and all the questions have been really interesting and thought-provoking. So, one user, I'm going to mispronounce the name, at Elisem Lemoyne? <laughs> didn't do a great job with that one asked us did ddlc have something to say about suicide and self harm or were those aspects just for shock value which i think we have discussed in mm-hmm. that we feel that really it's been used for shock value where we had we had a moment of understanding with her and then were shocked with her loss so for me mm-hmm. it's a lot more it's a lot more on the shock value side of things but perhaps there was a few more empathy moments with her than than other games that might use this i don't know
0: i think it's also possible to save Sayori and get the good ending um oh. i read somewhere that if you spend an equal amount of time with all of the girls then you get a different ending but mm. don't quote me on that because i did not want to play it more than once and i'm not i'm not sure if that's true or not
1: And then there was also discussion to ask if we felt that the game was trying to force us down Sayori's path because she was depressed with the tried trope that uh, love quote unquote cures depression or did it handle rejecting her with grace? So on that point, uh, when Sayori is opening up to you, she's also talking about her feelings for you. I did feel when I was having my play experience that I had a pre-existing relationship with Sayori. I felt she was, being the least fluffy and the least tropey out of the other characters because she was talking about some dark stuff uh so maybe maybe that's why i (laughs) i i did try to pursue her first uh and in terms of rejecting her with grace i mean the game lets you have a simple yes i feel the same or or no we're, we're friends kind of rejection and you lose her as a character regardless so i don't think it did a very nuanced job of of uh what can happen when you turn someone's feelings down?
0: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was also really uncomfortable because putting you in that position and insinuating that turning someone down could drive them to doing what she does mm. is really distressing and uncomfortable mm. and so so many things. I don't really have words for it. Um mm. I don't I don't think it handled rejecting her very well because no. One the day after um, Monica makes all these puns about how she how she ends her life, which I found very yeah. unfunny, um, and the another thing that I really disliked that kind of combines with the virality of this game is that her death kind of ended up as like a, a meme and a joke.
1: Yeah, and
0: I find that really one really distasteful because uh, again, it's demonizing mental illness. This is like something that's really Really demonized in our popular media, and uh, we need to do so much to try and handle it gracefully, and to work away from the stigma of, you know, getting people to talk and getting people to to get help that they require. And it just does not contribute to that at all. It treats it like a joke, and I personally, I don't think it's something to joke about. I know a lot of people like this game, and like I'm not saying that you can't enjoy it. Like you're totally allowed to enjoy this game. But I do think that this is something that we need to consider, uh, the jokes that we're making and the things that we're considering funny that might otherwise have very, very stark realities for, you know, people that may have played this game or,
1: you know, lived through some of the themes that this game is talking about. Mm, absolutely. Let's all be a little bit more thoughtful about that, like, mm-hmm. because a whole lot of yeah. yuck. And I mean, Sayori's, Sayori's death and her loss was really awful and upsetting. Later in the game, you also lose the character Yuri as well, Mm. but her death and her taking her own life is really over the top and really gratuitous violence and a really stupid hammy animation that, like, and and her character deals with themes of self-harm, also very serious topic and Mm -hmm. shouldn't really be made into this kind of soap opera kind of death that, that she went through. So I was really personally... Angry and grossed out <laughs> by by that treatment as well. So yeah, that
0: was a really weird scene as well. Mm. Like I know what Dan set out to do, and like he's obviously done it really well because people had such visceral reactions to to this content. After Yuri dies, you sit in the classroom with her dead body for like an entire weekend, and you just you're just paging through this dialogue that's just gibberish over and over and over again for. I don't know maybe hundreds of lines and like it's obviously very uncomfortable he he was successful in doing that um mm. should we be more thoughtful about the way we do things yes um <laughs> do we have to be i mean no you're allowed to create whatever you want but you are leaving the door open for people to have very visceral reactions positively or negatively to your content
1: yeah, so for me, I mean in summary, this game did interesting things with the horror genre. It showed technical prowess. It doesn't have good or interesting things to say about romance and intimacy that are that are healthy Whoops. in any way. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, for for a game that's wrapped up like an innocent dating game, you know, we didn't have that much to talk about because it's critiquing how simplistic some of those games are in the meantime handing us a really disturbing horror experience so yeah definite kudos to them i mean it's it's worth discussing and it's worth critiquing both of us had mixed and negative experiences Mm. with it i'd say but uh yeah it's not not all fun and games (laughs) on this podcast yeah i mean i think it was important for
0: us to review it or talk about on this episode because it does have the affordances and the guise of a romance game and it does have a lot of those mechanics in it so that's why we talked about it. Even though we talked about a lot of horror stuff this episode, I think it was still an important discourse to have, especially with some of the unhealthy ways it treats, um, say, obsession in relationships and paranoia and uh, guilt in relationships as well, in Cyrus' case. Absolutely.
1: So... If anything that we've discussed today has been really upsetting or difficult for you or if you do go on to watch a Let's Play of this game or play it yourself and you do find it really, really distressing, then we do recommend that you reach out and get help uh, with, with free resources that are out there or get in touch with a trained professional. If you're based in Australia, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. But also if you look up sort of a crisis hotline or if you look up Lifeline, wherever you're based in the world, uh, you should be able to get get some resources and talk through anything that's really been troubling you. And so that's, that's for this game. That's for any other game. That's also just for life. Yeah, <laughs> From me always, to you.
0: <laughs> always good advice. Never be afraid to talk about anything if you need it. Yeah. So, despite this being the Love Games podcast, this has been the Horror Games podcast for <laughs> for one episode. I guess we're doing some sort of GDC special where we turn the turn the format on its head and we do something completely different because it's bizarre <laughs> world now. So, shock tactic. <laughs> cool. So, thank you so much for listening. You will have a new episode 2 weeks from now even though we're recording this very far in advance. And you can reach us on Twitter at lovegamescast or talk to us through the hashtag hashtag hashtag, hashtag lovegamescast <laughs> and we will reply to anything you tweeted us including very interesting discourse on porn games which yeah. I was very interested to read today thank you very much for tweeting
1: that at us I definitely opened something up that had uh, a widescreen animated gangbang so that
0: was <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> not safe ready. for work
0: maybe safe <laughs> for this podcast yes <laughs> Anyway, we will catch you on the other side with hopefully a more romantic Love Games podcast in episode four. Thanks for listening, and have a good whatever time of day it is for you.
1: some kind of cool sign-off and then i was like what am i saying and then it was too long <laughs>
0: <laughs> you'll be like snooze you lose
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be the weirdest thing to put at the end of this podcast um muffins, muffins. yeah that's a good idea that's a good idea i don't yeah. know i don't know what can my sign-off be meh it's like bye beans <laughs> okay done see you bye later. beans, bye beans. I like
0: it.